Hello, everyone, and welcome to another very special episode of Solace in the City. Today, I'm with my wonderful grandma, Carol Rosen. And um, yeah, this will be the, I guess, the holiday special, for lack of a better word. Um, so say hi, grandma. Hi, darling. <laughs> uh, so let's just start out with you introducing yourself. So you know, where are you from? How old are you, if you want to say? Oh, I'll tell, I'll tell everybody. I'm very proud that I'm as old as I am, and I made it through. <laughs> My name is Carol. You want the whole name? Yeah. Carol Rosen. And many people... Many younger people call me Grandma Carol. It's followed me through my life, through my adult life. And I'm from Brooklyn, New York. I now live in, I've been living in New Jersey for many, many years, but I was born and bred in New York until I got married. Great. And what, in Brooklyn. What was New York or and Brooklyn specifically like when you were growing up? Well, um, I, had a, I had a wonderful growing up time. I and I loved my high school. It was a, it's still a superb high school, which is amazing. I, it's, I loved being in my high school. It was 5,000 children and it produced very famous people. Okay. Well, well um, Charles Schumer went there, cool. his family. Um, I, it was a very famous. By, I think her name was somebody Copeland, and she was, I think she put into uh, prison. She was a spy. Uh, famous people, famous ball players. I don't remember their names, but I have to ask around for people who are knowledgeable. Marty Glickman, I think that was one name. And I think he and his brother were very famous baseball players on the team at kind of the school that I went to, uh, Madison High School, James Madison High School. Cool. I loved it. It was a fabulous community, and it was bright, wonderful, bright students, and I loved being there. And what was your relationship with your family like? Say that again? What was your relationship with your family like? My relationship with my family is still wonderful, and it was wonderful then. Very sadly, my dad died when he was 47 years old in 1947. And it destroyed our lives, really. It was a terrible happening in our lives. My mother was a very young woman. I have a younger brother. I, it left us not only with a leader in our family, but it also put us in a financial home for a long time. Um, but somehow my mom was able to get us into college and somehow pull the strings together with the help of a an uncle who was a very important relative, and it all panned out. But it was a that was a very difficult period for my my family. But we're very close. You were really young when that happened. I was thirteen, and my brother was eight. So, do you think that that prompted you to mature at, at a very oh, young age? Oh yes, oh yes. Because I my my mom, I, I was, it was heartbreaking. I had to mature and become her friend because she she didn't drive and you know she knew the subway she she did go to visit friends but she was very much alone and I became a very important grown-up friend for my mom and I I still think of her she she died uh, when she was 94 so I had it for a long time yeah we were very close very close and the best part about this whole thing was that I come from a very musical family. Yeah. 
I, my, my mother was a, a superb pianist. She also had a gift where she could hear, she was a classical pianist, but she could hear music or go to a Broadway show, come home and perform all the music on the piano without, without a score. She would just be able to put it together. Uh, and my dad, um, he sang in a men's choir, a Russian men's choir. And my mother was the accompanist for the group. And I, I still have the music for that group. So I, there was music everywhere. And I went to the opera with my parents when I, when I was quite small. My brother was too young to go, but he does that now. But I, I, I was introduced to the New York Philharmonic and the opera and the ballet at a very young age. So my family was very much into the arts and into performing arts as well and enriched our lives. Did your mom teach you the piano? No, no. I, um, my mother brought me to a very famous woman. Her name was Lillian Resnikoff Wolf. Uh, she was a, a very famous teacher, and she taught my cousin Diana, who was a, a great um, pianist, and Diana's two brothers were uh, professional cellists. So the older one was um, a cellist with the New York Philharmonic. Both of them were. Uh, but the older one married a famous dancer whose name was Gretchen Weiler, and it was because of her connection to Broadway that my cousin um, moved over from playing the cello into conducting. So he became a conductor on Broadway and he won, what is the award that you win for Broadway? Is it the Tony? The Tony's. The Emmy? Tony's. Tony's. So he won uh, one of that. Oh, cool. Yeah. And he, he was sent by David Merrick to um, England to bring back uh, a musical called Oh, What a Lovely War. And I went to see it with my with grandpa. I, and so he became, Sheppy was his name, Shepherd. He became famous as a conductor. And his younger brother, Avron, continued with the uh, New York Philharmonic. And, and he's still very close to me. Yeah. He's turning 90 very shortly. Oh, cool. Yes. So, so there's music everywhere in my family. And that's what enriched us. And so it didn't matter that we didn't have a lot of money. We just made music. Yeah. And you definitely kept it up for until yeah, I was yeah. little. So why don't you tell the story of how you met Grandpa? Oh, <laughs> oh, I love, I love this story. I'm trying not, oh, I'll try not to cry. <laughs> you can cry. Um, I'm trying to make it short. I don't want to make it too long. But I was dating a, a doctor who um, took me to a, um, a party at the hospital where he was working. And there was a man, a lovely man there playing the guitar. And I spent the evening chatting with him and it turned out that he was engaged and he and his fiancee invited me to their engagement party because they wanted to introduce me. Is that Dorothy? No, Dorothy came later. Okay. Um, he, he wanted to introduce me to some of his medical people. So I went by my, did I try to remember? Yeah, I went by myself and I went with one of the doctors that he fixed me up with. And this doctor found several other psychiatrists who were there and they all talked shop and he left me alone and I was free to wander. And there was this very handsome fellow with beautiful dimples 
uh, wandering around without a date. It turned out that he was the um, the bride to be. He was her um, uh, cousin. That was Grandpa. That was Bob. And he kept asking me for my telephone number, and I said, "No, no, I can't do that because I came with somebody else, and I don't want the groom to think that I'm I'm impolite." So I didn't give him my telephone number. But when I came home, I said to my mom, I met somebody very important, and he doesn't even know how to call me. So she said, well, why don't you call the bride-to-be and tell her to give him your telephone number? And she did, and he was in the Air Force at that time, all the way in upstate New York, and he came down to Brooklyn to uh, take me out to dinner, and I married him eight weeks later. That's crazy. How old were you? I was just 21. Oh, my gosh. Uh, he sent me, when I first met him, he sent me an airplane ticket to fly up to Samson Air Force Base, where he was stationed in the Air Force. And we got engaged that weekend. We only knew each other one week. You one knew week, each other one week and got engaged? One week that we knew that nobody else could enter our lives. We knew it. Wow. And And eight weeks after the day I met him, I married him, and I was married to Grandpa 59 years before he died. It was a very, very romantic meeting, very yeah. special. So it was, a, it was great. And the great part about it is that we didn't know anything about each other, and so we couldn't really measure them each other. We had no way of knowing what we were like. But when I married him, I found out that he loves – being uh, he loved being outdoors and camping. He was a nature counselor and had a summer camp. And so he, I just knew it was perfect. And so, Grandpa, I'm, I had to go back a little bit. Uh, my parents started camping on the islands in Lake George, New York, in the 30s. And uh, they loved it as part of their lives at that time. And when I married Bob, <clears throat> I said, you know, I would like to try that very much. And so we tried it. We got a campsite. We rented a campsite on one of the islands in the middle of Lake George. And the beautiful story is that after we had children, I brought my babies there in diapers. I'm, it went straight through to the fourth generation. We have just finished our 64th year at Lake George of camping on the islands. Yeah. And it's all because it started with my parents and their love of the outdoors and the moonlight on the water and all the romantic, beautiful things that they introduced me and my brother to. We all carry that on a silver tray. Yeah. Yeah. So we have our fourth generation and something new and wonderful happened this year. Should I tell the story? Sure. Something very important happened Um, this past summer. Uh, we were camping. Most of the family uh, were on the campsite on, on one of the islands. This was 2018. 2018. Yeah. 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 2018. And um, my daughter, Jamie, was driving the boat. And she was she passed one of the smaller islands. Um, the islands are, are um, owned by the state. You're never allowed to build on them. But there was a time in the 30s where people actually bought 
pieces of property on these very small islands, and they were able to put cabins on them. So Jamie was driving past one of these islands, and she saw a great big sign on the dock that said, for sale, 400 feet of, of shoreline, two cabins, one dock, one boat, a kayak, and all of that stuff. It was There it was. And so Jamie got into the boat and hightailed it back to our campsite, pulled everybody off the campsite, and we all got into the boat, and we went to that island with a big sign, and Jamie had called uh, the owner, and he met us there. That was in August of 2018. Mm -hmm. And that Columbus Day weekend, right after that summer, my three children, Jamie, Peggy, John, pooled their resources, and they bought that piece mm -hmm. of property on that island. Now that's right. So now we own a rock <laughs> in our beloved place. And it is a heavenly thing. It's something they wanted all these years, and we did not want to take on the responsibility of a seasonal, seasonal, uh, seasonal, seasonal uh, home. But we now have it. So this is another wonderful <laughs> chapter that has just started. Get to reap the benefits. <laughs> yes, yes. So in addition to Lake George, you and Grandpa traveled quite a bit, right? Yep, all over the world. Was that more something that he brought into your life, or did you pick it up together? Um, not really. I, um, my dad passed away when I was quite young, and there was really no money for me to be sent traveling, and uh, so I had to wait till I married Grandpa. And when Grand when I married Grandpa. He loved traveling, and from that point on, he was completely courageous and unafraid, and we did the most crazy traveling <laughs> that anybody could ever think of. We, we hiked from hut to hut um, in the mountains of Irian Jaya. Where's we that? Went, well, that's, that's part of New Guinea, Again. Right, right near um, uh, near Australia, actually. So New Guinea is divided into two pieces. One is Irian Jaya, which is the western part of New Guinea, and the eastern part is Papua New Guinea. Okay. And so we did a lot of hiking together, and we, we, we've been all over the world, but mostly, mostly in very exotic places because um, Grandpa and I preferred going to places where people didn't even look like us. We wanted everything to be exotic. So wherever we went, we went. We spent a lot of time in Southeast Asia, which we loved. We loved the whole environment, and it was it was very, very different from what we were accustomed to. Yeah, you and went to Bali before it was cool. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. We started out. We 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 made a decision that we were going to hit every single island in I think you call it an archipelago in in that Indonesian islands. Um, we tried, but it became not as safe as it was when we first started out. And then there was a bombing um, that killed a whole bunch of Australian travelers. And uh, it was on, um, I think it was on, on Bali, actually, because we always ended up in Bali. And a lot of people from Australia, young people, were killed. And that was the deciding factor. We decided that it wasn't really safe for us to do that. Um, because we were going to islands that were very primitive, mm -hmm. and uh, nobody could have helped us if we ran into trouble. 
But we did a lot of very exciting stuff. And we, we worked on excavations and archaeological excavations. I had a partner with that. There's Bob, I call him Bob, Bob's mm-hmm. grandpa. Yeah. Um, he had a terrible, terrible heart condition. And we took really scary chances. The more I think about it, the more crazy I think we were. <laughs> you were <They're> crazy. <laughs> <laughs> there was one time when I actually had to call in a hospital plane to take Grandpa away and take him off a boat and bring him. He was brought airlifted to Florida to Where a hospital in Florida. Uh, we were on a ship. I I don't remember exactly where it was. It was we were in a part of the Caribbean, and um, and he had a very severe heart episode, and so he was um, taken off the ship on the first port, and uh, he was shipped by hospital plane to Florida. So it happened several times actually, wow. and we had a very scary time. But he was very courageous and insisted upon doing his wonderful things, and we we traveled everywhere. So we worked with an outfit called Earthwatch, which teamed with anthropologists and archaeologists and found people to work on the various excavations for Earthwatch as a tourism thing, which was very interesting. So we were so excited about Earthwatch, we had read about it. And uh, that brought us to uh, Guatemala, and we dug in Guatemala, right right on the sea, uh, Fascinating um, excavation. It was a, a Mayan uh, village site from the late Mayan, late classic Mayan period. It's about 800 AD, I think. And we worked, uh, Bob was the doctor for the um, archaeological group. And I did the big heavy digging because <laughs> I didn't have a heart condition at the time. So um, we, we were, it, was, it was a village that we uncovered, and it was, um, it was a very exciting because the Guatemalan uh, government also sent uh, special journals journalists to cover what was happening. Um, it was uh, um, wonderful ceramic pieces that we uncovered, and also body parts, which were they weren't they were just bones, but yeah. because the river kept the the soil uh, continuously moist, the bones did not disintegrate. And so we uncovered uh, some very important skeletal matter matters remains, and uh, all of these skeletons were buried with um, offerings, many of which were like the women who were buried. They were buried with kitchen equipment, mostly pottery. So it was pottery things and incense burners and and cutting knives, and the men were buried with. Um, uh, instruments of war, uh, and we found all of these artifacts. It was it was fascinating. So we spent a lot of time doing that, and we loved it so much that we moved over to an excavation the next year in Israel. And did you know that? Uh, yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah, right near the Dung Gate, and Grandpa and I worked on that uh, three three or four seasons, I think. Wow. Yep. We worked on the upper one near the Dung Gate, which is not too far from the wall, the Wailing Wall. And uh, it was finished. We got down to bedrock, um, and that was where the Roman occupation started. So we found Roman artifacts um, 
at that level. And then the next year, they, they closed that particular excavation and started a new one down into the valley. I think it's called the Kidron Valley. And it was all with the Hebrew University archaeologists. So we were invited to go back, and we did three or four seasons uh, right then, right uh, on that level. So uh, that went down to the Iron Age, about 1100 B.C. So it was a special experience. Yeah, you know, very, very exciting. And there was a very famous British archaeologist named Kathleen Kenyon, big fat old lady, muse the day is long. (laughs) She had worked uh, for the Jordanians. Okay. And uh, after the, uh, I guess it was a six day war, she was disinvited. She was because she was a friend of the Arabs. (laughs) Uh, so she wasn't invited to come back. But when uh, we started to work there, she made a very special visit. She was giving special special commission. And Grandpa was the official photographer for that excavation. So he has all, he, I have all those photographs he took of famous Kathleen Kenyon. And what's interesting is that there was one archaeologist from Hebrew University who wrote a book about that excavation. And without permission, he used all of Grandpa's photographs. Oh, wow. And in the beginning of the book, he said that all the photographs were taken by him. So he didn't give any credit to Grandpa. Oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah, I'll show you the pictures for the next time you come. You'll see, because I have the pictures on my wall. Oh, oh yeah, definitely with them up. Yeah. Okay, we're so. going to take a quick break, and then I want to sure, sure. Um, move to the topic of mental health. Oh, okay. Okay, so as you know or may know, the theme of my podcast overall is very focused on mental health. So I wanted to kind of ask you a couple of questions about the if there were any conversations about mental health when you were younger and growing up because I I think, I mean, at least from my my guessing is that it's something that's evolved. So what was the conversation like around mental health? I don't recall that being a, um, a topic at all. I knew nobody who was being treated for being emotionally disturbed. I, because I, I, I just, I just don't remember that. And we, and there was no, no discussion about it, never in school, never uh, amongst the medical people in my family. I'm trying to remember. Uh, um, I have to backtrack. I had a very amazing uncle, my mother's youngest sibling, Uncle Marty. He was a very brilliant man. Uh, he was a doctor. Uh, and very successful, uh, ear, nose, and throat. But he'd be very, very involved. This is now that I'm thinking back in what he referred to as psychosomatic medicine. Hmm. So he gave lectures and interviews, professional interviews, about not just treating the physical things that don't work well, in a person, but also to cover him psychosomatically. And he was a real trailblazer. Uh, it was very unusual. And he, Life, Life magazine did a, an article on him, as a matter of fact. 
with photographs. Uh, he did a lot of work with, with children who were going in for surgery. Uh, it was a very different way of preparing children. But he also dealt with adults who had um, uh, dif emotional difficulties. And so that's what I remember. And that was very unusual because I never remember any conversation around that except when we were with my uncle. Yeah. Actually, I mean, now that I think about it, he did work with Judy Garland, right? Uh, Judy Garland tried to commit suicide in the bathroom of his apartment. Oh, I didn't know that. And her husband, Sid Luft, was there that night. They're very, they were very close friends. So she was his patient. Uh, uh, but Sid Luft, her husband, was also a very close friend of my uncle's. I had no idea about that. Oh, yeah. But yeah. what was... What did you consider that to be? Depression, or did you consider that to be men like a mental? She, you know, she was a severely depressed person. Yeah, she had a difficult childhood. Mm -hmm. She was a uh, uh, famous young actress when she was a kid. Yeah, I watched a whole documentary on her. I did and, too. Yeah, and and saw the whole the, her battle with drug addiction and things like that. But and I knew that there was connection to Lottie, but I had no idea was that to that extent. But aside from that, like from your perspective, did people consider someone like her to be a, a victim of a disease or have, you know, brought that upon herself? I don't know that too much research had been done at that point. That was a long time ago. Mm -hmm. We're talking about a modern age right now. So there's a new kind of sensitivity that did not exist while I was growing up. And if it did, I didn't know about it. Yeah, I don't think it did. I mean, at least from guessing. I mean, even still in people's, you know, mom's age, therapy isn't really looked at as a good thing. It's it's looked at as something you do secretively. Whereas, oh, there was I'm, a pox on you if you if you uh, went to uh, therapy when you for your um, your generation, my generation. Oh my goodness, you know, we, we whispered about people who went to the psychiatrist when they really need that help. They needed that help. Did you know anyone who went to a therapist? Well, I had my cousin Addie. Um, she, she, she was, she and her sister came from my, my mother's sister's family, you know, mm -hmm. my mother's sister's children. And they were, uh, both of them, in need of help. So Addie, the older one, became a psychologist and, and she was as uh, as disturbed as the day was long she she uh, she had to go for therapy in order to go get her degree and become a, a therapist and she had her own patients but uh, she was um in need of help very badly how so uh, i think that she was well i I know she was severely depressed because she never married and never had children, and she wanted children very badly. And she was supposed to marry, and the man she was supposed to marry left two weeks before the wedding and disappeared. And she never, never married, never met anybody since then. She remained a solo person until she died, which was last year. Wow. And she was a very sad, sad woman and very, I think, very afflicted with, with deep, deep depression. Aside from that, where you said it was very obvious, I mean, your mom had a very traumatic loss, mm -hmm. obviously, at a young age, and you were affected and your brother was affected. 
did you, looking back now, do you ever think she was depressed? My mom? Mm -hmm. Never. I was 13 when my dad died, and my brother was eight. Um, I only knew about the terrible sadness that had afflicted our, our little family. Um, I think my mom was a very courageous woman. Yeah. But I think, you know, she was scared. She was, she was a very young mother. Uh, and she, she couldn't go out to work because she had ulcerative colitis. So she had to depend upon whatever was left by my dad's insurance. It was very difficult, but, um, but she never visited her deep sadness on us, on her children. Yeah. So I can tell you, yeah. But I think I think there was a great deal of sadness. Yeah. And it's difficult to, you know, you don't know what was going on in her own mind. Um, exactly. She was looking out for you. Exactly. She never spoke about it. Uh, I'm sure she cried a lot. But she was very courageous and very strong. Mm -hmm. And um and she put up a very good facade so that we never we never felt insecure under her care because we always felt that she was a sound person, but I think her heart was broken and I don't think it ever could be be fixed. And I mean we recently lost grandpa, I mean six years ago, but still in the grand scheme of things, not very long ago. A lot of what I talk about in the podcast with people is loneliness oh. and the how we feel lonely despite not despite not really necessarily being alone. But you're someone who was, you know, you had a life partner for a very long time and then for the first time in fifty nine years you didn't. How how have you dealt with that? It's terrible. It's terrible. I wake up with it and I go to sleep with it. And it's terrible mostly because I just turned 85 and some of my friends have died. The people I would have leaned on or shared with are either very ill, dead, or in Florida. <laughs> <clears throat> so <coughs> I might hold on for a minute. <clears throat> Excuse me. My support system has been diminished. Yeah, I think it's much better to be able to talk about about loneliness than to hold it inside. Yeah, definitely. It, find my podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you feel like you've been hard. able to? Do you think you've been able to talk about it? I um, I don't talk about it very much. I there there are times that I've spoken to you about it. I. It usually comes when I'm driving. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and I keep WQXR on my radio all the time. And I have classical music blasting while I'm driving. Today, coming here, I listened, I was listening to my mom's most beloved concerto. It was a Chopin, I think, only wrote two of them, only two piano concertos. He mostly wrote for solo performance. And this piano concerto was playing for the entire time I was driving here. 
and I really felt like my mom was in the car. Mm-hmm. When I hear when I hear music, because she's she was so much a part of our musical world, it it breaks my heart, but it also gives me the most incredible memories that come back washing over me when I hear her music. Yeah. And, you know, either that or it's something that she has played on the piano, that she was a wonderful musician, or it's something that she, she and I used to play four-handed music together. And sometimes if I, if I hear Beethoven's fifth, I know every single note because she and I played it four hands. It was written for four-hand uh, yeah. piano students. So I, I seek solace in that, but, but it also turns on um, yeah, I'm very sensible. Some, some heart strings. Yeah, it pulls my heart. Yeah, yeah. But do you feel that because you grew up in a time where you had to conceal your emotions like your mom, that now you felt like you've had to do the same about grandpa? Oh, yeah. I, nobody wants to spend time with a grieving person. It's true. But do you think that's something that society has constructed you to think? Maybe. Yeah, maybe because the more we bottle up our emotions, the less, the the more difficult it is to then release them. It's a very important point. Yeah, I don't, I don't share, I don't share this with too many people. I have shared it with you, mm-hmm. um, and with Jamie and Peggy. Yeah. Um. Not too much, though. I don't visit upon everybody, and you can't. It's very hard to open up because it's putting a burden on on the person who's listening to you, and you have to choose that person very carefully. Yeah, but I I want you to know that it's not a burden for me, at least, hmm. and that whenever you want to talk, I'm always here and hmm. I'm ready to listen because I think that. People my age and younger, at least some, have that understanding now that it's okay to be sad and it's okay to not always be, you know, a bubbly, bright figure because that's impossible. So I know. I've been criticized for that, actually, because I put on a good front. Well, you do, and and you do it out of the goodness of your heart, but it's also okay to be sad and admit that you are because otherwise... Um, otherwise you have to just you know otherwise you're a robot <laughs> well you know if you don't if you don't open it up yeah then it, it all explodes you, it can eat you up inside exactly yeah. and it can explode and and i don't want that and that's a lot happen. of more for someone to deal with than exactly than just exactly. every so often saying you know what i'm, I'm kind of lonely today or i'm kind of sad today so i know that it's easier said than done and especially me saying this who's had a much less less life experience than you have but you should know that you're, it's never a burden just to talk about uh, most people don't say that to me you see this yeah is, but this most people that you talk to are like 80 years old <clears throat> yeah <they're> dead <laughs> they have half dead so <laughs> but you know my my dearest just talk to the 25 year old and you're good yeah, yeah. but you know opening up is very hard 
Mm-hmm. It and is. I, it's very hard. And I, maybe that's part of therapy. I've never been to a therapist. Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> I've never done that because I'm, I'm so private about my inner feelings. And I don't know whether I could open up. But I can tell you that having had this chat with you some time ago, and I was listening, music is what unlocks my heart always. Mm-hmm. And I associate people whom I love or did love with certain music and it's it's so important to me if i if i couldn't listen to that music i would uh, i don't think that i would um deal with that sadness easily yeah it's important to ask them to go to yeah and you know the minute i come into my house very often if i leave my house i leave wqxr on mm-hmm. loudly so that when i walk in i hear the music but I leave it on all day. It's nice. And I go to sleep with it. I used to listen to classical music when I was studying. But now I just associate Mozart with statistics. And Oh, that's too bad. <laughs> Mozart is it's, it's, it's really tingly music. I, I, love, I love Mozart for that reason. I, most of the time, I, because I feel uh, very happy when I hear most, most of Mozart. Yeah, I ruined that for myself, but that's <laughs> exactly the point. Okay, so I usually end my recordings asking a couple of questions. Okay. So I'm, I'm curious to see your responses or hear your responses. First question is, what's one thing in your life that's happened to you that's made you a stronger person today? Oh, my. Oh, that's so hard. I mean, I'm I'm 85 years old, <laughs> and I have so many things in my bank account. <laughs> you could just pick one. I well, I think I think I mean losing Grandpa was terrible for me, uh, and I've become With the help of my family, I've become a little bit more independent because Grandpa was a, the father figure for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and when he died six years ago, I I could have rolled up in a ball like a little beetle and just stayed in the corner. I think the most amazing thing that happened is that I returned to Belize which is where I was traveling with, with Grandpa uh, a number of times. We fell in love with it. And I, I, it gave, I developed the courage to go back, and I traveled there by myself each year because everybody remembers him and me. Yeah. And, and I, the welcome I receive is just so overwhelming that it's not as scary. I, I don't think I could have done this by going someplace else. I, there were two places in particular I'm going to be leaving next month. Mm-hmm. And and I already have <clears throat> a feeling like I'm going to visit family. Yeah, and I nice. have received these wonderful communications from everybody waiting for me to come is because I, I didn't visit my ins- instability and misery on them. I... I made up my mind that I was going to be strong enough to do it by myself, and they have accepted me on those terms. That yeah. here's this this nice old lady <laughs> who, um, even on her facade, doesn't let 
us know that she's scared to death to do this travel. No, but, I think know. you said you were so proud of your mom for being strong. Yes, but yes. they're doing the same thing. Yeah, yeah. I think that that's probably what it is because she could not have managed without that. Yeah, and, and you baffled us far from the tree. Yeah, she was 45 when she had two young children and she had to do it on her own. And it was amazing. But you're pretty amazing too. So. Oh, thank you. I, but I, I'm, I'm, you know, I was reading some of my correspondence, which I would love to share with you because it, I sent some of it home here uh, so that Jamie could uh, read some of it because it's it's all so solid that I it's making me feel like I I know I'm going to be welcome. I know I'm going to be okay. And I know I can manage it myself. And never if you had told me a bunch of years ago that I was going to do this, I never would have believed it. Yeah, here you are. So here I am. So it was a very important thing that happened. Yeah. Do you believe everything happens for a reason? Oh, gosh, that's being a fatalist. I don't know. I'm not sure. Do you think, well, a couple of answers I've gotten, for example, is that Maybe it's not like a destiny kind of thing, but it's more so everything in your life shapes you and you take every experience and mold it into something else. And it yes. can be a learning yes. experience. Yes, and I think that's what happened to me. Yes, definitely. Because I I don't think I would have been, I wouldn't be in this spot right now uh, a bunch of years ago. Exactly. Yeah. Do you have a, a favorite quote or a favorite mantra? Oh, oh, so upsetting to me because I have it pinned on my kitchen cabinet. Who's it by? Well, it's very funny. I I don't know who wrote it. I first read it because George, the com comedian George Carlin had quoted it. But I don't know, but he didn't give any... Uh, uh, any name, so I don't know who wrote it, but it's it's a it's such a beautiful thing, and I think <laughs> we can look it up. But I what's the gist of it? Uh, I, I, um, it's not in my head. I can't. Get <laughs> it's it okay. I have it. It's right on my kitchen cabinet because it gives me courage every morning. Okay, I'll look it up. Okay. I'll look it up later. <clears throat> and what do you love most about yourself? love anything about myself. Oh my gosh, you can't say that. I love just stuff. I like myself. No, you love yourself. What, what do, you, do I love? Well, I love your constant joy and all of your funny sayings and the way you say Malaysia <laughs> and <Yeah>. Belize <laughs> and your laugh and your weird greetings like and your acorn squash dish oh god <laughs> and your house with its insane decorations well you know it's very funny that you say that but i never realized that it's such a nutty house it's insane you have <laughs> penis gourds everywhere I know. how did you not realize that's not normal I, I never gave two thoughts to it. The, the penis have, scores are hanging in front of the window. In that's the so porch. weird. <laughs> well, we have to tell everybody who's listening to this what a penis gourd is. So you go a, for it. <laughs> all right. 
uh, when Grandpa and I went to New Guinea, we we I said we we hiked from hut to hut, and we the further we went, the more and more primitive it became. But the the less clothing people wore, so the women, most of them, just wore. This was this was a bunch of years ago, and now I'm sure they're wearing jeans and sneakers. But in those days, the women were bare-breasted and wore grass skirts, believe it or not, in New <laughs> Guinea, where we went. And the men were completely naked except for a little teeny hat made of wool from their sheep or whatever animals. They weren't sheep. Whatever animals produce that fur, they use it on their heads. So what they use on their body they grew very, very large gourds in their garden. And they would take, each man would take the largest, most misshapen gourd in the garden and shake the seeds out and make two holes in it and tie and put a piece of string in it and tie the gourd around his waist and stick his penis in it. That's all the clothing they had. So when we went to New Guinea, I asked a man if I could buy his priest's gourd. <laughs> oh my so God. So I have a few of those penis gourds in my house hanging like an artwork. Okay, so aside <laughs> from the penis gourds, what do you love most about yourself? About myself? Yes. I think I'm an I think I'm a nice person. You're a very nice person. So do you love that you're a nice Yes, I think I think I'm a, You're think a good I'm egg. A nice person. I'm a good egg. Yeah, I think. Although, 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 there are times, and I have to tell you, it keeps coming back. You know, when I'm driving and I miss my people whom I love so much, I find myself apologizing to Grandpa and to my mom for not having been more good to them. I think you can harp on that, but you're the nicest person I know, so if you're you're just being too hard on yourself. Well, yeah, you know, as I say, as I'm driving, my thoughts go crazy, and sometimes I take the wrong turn because I'm <laughs> very distracted. But there are times when I will remember being very, very kind and caring, but there were also times that I remember what I was, I did not show kindness when yeah. it was needed. But that's normal. And you just have to forgive yourself. Well, I'm, tr I'm trying. I am trying. It's a process. Yeah, I'm trying. My, okay, my last question is in one sentence, how do you find solace in the city or in Mound Lakes? Oh. You mentioned it before. Well, two ways. I walk around Birchwood Lake. It's a very, very peaceful place for me. And I used to walk around there with Grandpa. Yeah. And with him gone, uh, I go there by myself, but it breaks my heart. Very often my friend Fran, when she's not in Florida with all those nice old people, she and I do that walk every day. But that is a place where I, I have found peace of mind during the most difficult of my times. I, and I need it. I have to get there if the, if the weather is okay. I have to be there. I have to do that walk a couple of times around the lake. And I can hear the people whom I have loved in the sound of, of the breeze in the trees. I can hear it and I can feel it. That is my place for solace.
Grandma, thank you so much for letting me record with you, and I love you so much. But I know you do, and I love doing this. I love talking about these things. I don't usually do that. You don't, but I'm happy to share this with everyone who listens, and I'm sure they're going to enjoy it. Because you. you're very special with me, so. Well, you remember what I told you long ago. You are my first grandchild, and you taught me how to be a grandma. Well, you're a damn good one. Thank you, and I love you. Love Who's going to listen to this? Um, I don't know. We'll find out. We have hopefully a lot of people. Say bye to everyone. Bye. Bye. Glad to meet you. <laughs>